More than three years after the last big earthquake, how is Christchurch faring as the massive job of rebuilding itself continues to unfold? Two anchor projects are underway and the work on the road and pipe networks is on track to be finished at the end of 2016. But this Radio New Zealand Insight asks how the people are coping as the enormous task grinds on. Just in this area here, we've got repair works on the Durham Street Bridge. So that, that's, that's about um, repairing cracks and spalled concrete and damage. Um, they're probably a week away from finishing there. They're also The man in charge of repairing and rebuilding all the roads, pipes and bridges damaged in the Christchurch earthquakes is the general manager of the stronger Christchurch infrastructure rebuild team, Duncan Gibb. Although there's repair work going on throughout the central city and in many other parts, especially to the east, Duncan Gibbs says they are making progress. We've already spent two and a half years doing what we call the asset assessment work. So we've spent nearly $140 million just in um, exposing the networks and we've done that through, first we had to suck all the, all the liquefaction out of the stormwater and out of the sewage and wastewater that had broken and, and then we send cameras down the pipes and you know, then we do all sorts of geotech and use profilometers and all sorts. So there's a whole lot of work that we've already done to determine what is the extent of damage. We're, we're about 80% of the way through the, the, the process of designing the repairs and we're currently about... 40, 41% of the way through construction and if you put that, wrap that all up in the context of this program which is about 664 projects that we've scoped and defined, we're about 45% of the way through the whole program. Christchurch's Mayor Leanne Dalzell thinks that even now not everyone throughout New Zealand grasps the extent of what needs to be done. Many people outside Christchurch have no idea what the situation is like here. I mean, you know, the central city looks like it's been flattened. And three years on, the complexity of resolving problems is something that still takes the head of the Canterbury Earthquake Recovery Authority aback. The thing that still surprises me is actually just still how complex a lot of the interrelationships are, how you often need the agreement of so many different organisations to get some things done. Roger Sutton is optimistic, though, that Christchurch is on course to emerge as a vibrant and exciting city. Others remain less positive. The chairperson of the local branch of the National Councillors Association, Nikki Falconer, describes many people as being at the end of their tethers. The primary stressors have gone now, really. So the primary traumas to do with the earthquake are gone. It's now the secondary traumas of having to deal with EQC and Sarah housing changes, repairs, maybe school closures or school changes, maybe increased rents or people are having to live with family members, so there's stress that comes from that. And really I think a lot of people thought that the rebuild would happen a lot quicker than what it did, so there's a, a resignation from some people. I'm Philippa Tolley and this insight explores how Christchurch and its residents are faring as the huge task of reconstruction unfolds. Good morning ladies and gentlemen, my name's Paul, I'm from the Canterbury Museum and your driver today is Dale, he's from the Red Bus Company. He'll be taking us on the tour. Ready when you are, Dale? 
The Christchurch City Council-owned Red Bus Service no longer runs earthquake tours. They're now rebuild tours. In this case, this one here was called Church House, uh, so that is gone. On the other side, on the left-hand side of the bus, of course, you have the largest construction project under work at the moment. Those piles that you see being driven in, I've seen one of those going down as far as 37 metres. After years of demolition work, the centre of Christchurch is populated with empty gravel surfaced sites. And as the chief executive of the recovery authority, Sarah, Roger Sutton explains, there's still more to come down. More than 95 or 90, you know, well over 95% of it is done. But there are still buildings where building owners are debating with their insurers about whether they can repair it or whether it's going to come down. It's a big event. Um, a lot of the buildings, it's been hard for people to actually work out whether they are repair or rebuild. So if it's a concrete building and you have to start really starting to pull the building apart, that's just, that's, that's just the way it is. I mean, it's, it's not really holding back the rest of the rebuild because, you know, that, that's, that, that's well underway in areas which aren't affected by those buildings that still need to come down. But they're away forward. The guide on this bus tour, Paul Gallagher, points out another building where demolition work started in just the last few months. The building that you can see coming down here on the right-hand side, of course, was the old Miller's department store building. The yellow machine is what they call the nibbler, and these machines, of course, that were mostly bought in from overseas. Think about it, the scale of the change often leaves the mayor, Leanne Dalzell, confused. I know myself even driving down some of the streets, and I've lived here all my life. Uh, I'll come to a corner and I'll, I'll my, my mind will not tell me to turn left or right because I don't know exactly where I am for an instant. And the only way, for example, that I know where to turn on Manchester Street at the moment, uh, for those that know Christchurch, is because Manchester Street is, is cut off partway down and I know that the cut off is Armagh Street. That's the only reason I can recognise that corner. And I think that with memory affected so badly, so quickly, that it's having a psychological impact on people as well. The first of the major projects, the Avon River Precinct and the Justice Sector, are underway, although the work is at the dredging and foundation digging stage. Roger Sutton is sure a temperate approach is the right one. What we're trying to rebuild here is something which is going to be really special, something that really will stand the test of time. Um, you know, I always say if you buy the wrong sort of light bulb, you've got that for a year. You know, if you buy the wrong sort of car, you've got that for five years or, or, or whatever. But if you build this, build your city the wrong way, you build the wrong sort of buildings, you're stuck with that, you know, for, for, for hundreds of years. And, you know, some of the things we are doing, like, you know, in the area where we're going to have what we call in the retail precinct with shops, um, office space, um, you know, we, we, we're trying to work with the developers here so we do actually get something which is really special, an area which has got laneways and little courtyards. Um, it's not just what we had, it's going to be better. And that takes, that takes more time than just saying let's just let every developer go out there and put up, you know, tilt slab buildings as quickly as possible. When it comes to infrastructure, Duncan Gibbs says it was fortunate that people realised the importance of fixing everything underground before major rebuilding work got underway. That means those moving back into the centre can be confident that water, sewerage, roads and bridges are all back up to pre-earthquake levels. Duncan Gibb outlines the huge amount of work that's been done already. If you look at um, stormwater and drainage, we've uh, put in over 250 kilometres of pipe and, you know, that's pretty significant. That's only nearly 40% of the work that has to be done. 
So we got we got over 600 and it's about 620 kilometres of sewage and wastewater pipe that needs to be reinstated. That's from here to Invercargill and, and more. You know that's a long way. But we're 250 kilometres down. We, we've got about 80 pump stations that we need to repair just for sewage and wastewater, and we, we're about halfway through. So that's about 40 odd. Um, if you look at the stormwater, we're actually over halfway through that sort of work. Um, if you look at the freshwater, once again, we, we've really progressed quite well, and, and I'd suggest we're probably two thirds of the way, nearly three quarters of the way through this, the drinking water, making sure that people have got a stable, robust, resilient drinking water network. But some in Christchurch feel businesses and services won't want to return to the central business district and are happy operating out of the suburbs. There are ongoing reports of developers who are trying to get projects off the ground, having difficulties signing up tenants. Roger Sutton says everyone just has to live with the current situation, but in the end, things will come right. A lot of tenants have got, have got comfortable out in the suburbs and, have, and in some cases have moved into new buildings. Um, but I think what's going to happen over time is they'll simply see that the new central city, um, where they can be right next to um, their competitors, their colleagues, makes it a much more effective place to work. But there may be a period where out in the suburbs, if you like, where rents will actually drop for a period because a tenant, because a landlord there can actually afford to be dropping the rent. Um, some of those people will hesitate coming back in. Um, but I'm really confident that what we're building here will actually be really special and people will, will return. And we're seeing, you know, with all the building that's going on there, we're seeing very, very strong signs of that happening. Age Concern in Canterbury says the plea for more time is one residents in Christchurch often hear from Roger Sutton and the Earthquake Recovery Minister, Jerry Brownlee. But its chief executive, Simon Templeton, says for many older people, time is something they haven't got. Another thing that adds a lot of stress to older people is the fact that a lot of this is very new. A lot of people that may not have the support of uh, perhaps a husband or wife, you know, they're living alone. So they're kind of left to, to face this um, by themselves. We, we live in a time when uh, a lot of their children will be spread across not only New Zealand but the world, and so they can only offer so much support. And so I guess it, does, it is a wee bit different for them, and they do feel particularly uh, vulnerable when it comes to you know, men in fluoro jackets coming in and, and talking through this jargon that, to be honest, I don't even understand. Uh, you need to be a professor of building to understand a lot of what goes on. And so they're left really signing things that, you know, I wouldn't call as informed consent. Simon Templeton describes how a lack of community facilities such as churches and libraries and difficulties with transport has increased the risk of social isolation for some residents. This is only added to if people lose friends and neighbours as they're forced to move out of their homes. A volunteer at Age Concern, who doesn't want to be identified because she's in dispute with her insurers, says people, especially many elderly, are worn down. The woman lives in New Brighton, in the east of Christchurch, where there are some of the worst affected residential areas. Her words are spoken by someone else. I'm just so tired, so tired. I go to meetings all the time. In the past few weeks, Eken has been holding meetings about possible contamination from an old dump. People have been told to wash pets' paws before they come in the house. That's for people who already need repairs or possibly rebuilds. Now they're talking about altering the bus service, so we'll have to change at Rolleston, and the trip will take half an hour longer. The changes will affect the elderly and the vulnerable. 
Already all the work in the area means it's so noisy and so dusty and the house shakes every time a big truck goes past. For services such as age concern, the stress and associated illness have increased the demand for help. We've certainly seen an increase in what we're providing for socially isolated people as far as accredited visitors or, or an outing service to socially connect people. We've seen an increase in elder abuse and neglect cases. We've seen a big increase in hoarding cases, which is something that the earthquakes thrown up. So when people have gone knocking doors to door, that's when these people have come to light. The other really interesting thing we've found through our earthquake support coordinator is we're getting people coming for our support who in the past wouldn't normally have. So they're you know, well-functioning in the community, uh, quite able to manage their day-to-day lives, but we're now at the stage three and a bit years on from the earthquakes where their resilience is just at, at rock bottom and the people who are just saying, look, I can't do this anymore, I need help. And while some people are asking for assistance, Simon Templeton says there are still others who are trying to keep going by themselves, thinking there are others in greater need. It is a really difficult one because if people don't put their hand up and don't come forward, then you know it's very difficult. We only stumble across them when a concerned neighbour phones or a daughter from Auckland phones and says, I think mum might be isolated. But I think the evidence is quite clear because we're still finding people just this week who really we should have grabbed three years ago when, when this first happened and 90-plus living in a... Uh, damaged home when we were around the other day it was six degrees inside and that's just not acceptable. The head of Sarah says the scale of the recovery is so huge there are many problems that couldn't be anticipated but Roger Sutton believes the situation is getting better. For a lot of people we have we have really really turned the corner now but that doesn't mean there aren't still people who aren't stuck out there with difficult issues where we're going to have to continue to try and make sure they receive help and assistance whether it be us from the government or whether we're simply trying to help other um, non-government organisations get, get assistance to those people as well. Leanne Dalzell says people are happier when they know something is being done and when they see local and national government working together rather than at loggerheads. But Ms Dalzell says it's not just a question of talking about when something will be finished. It's a matter of keeping people involved and she admits that may have been missing. She talks about the rebuild being a journey and a long one at that. It's the stuff that gives you the sense of excitement, the sense of, you know, sense of being at home, the sense of possibility. I remember reading The Lonely Planet in the New York Times, you know, about why people should visit Christchurch. And actually they didn't focus on any of the traditional things um, or the traditional reasons why people might want to come to Christchurch. They actually talked about all the transitional things that were happening and the creativity and the energy of these you know, young people, you know, greening the rubble and, uh, you know, the um, gap filler and all of those things, you know, so life in vacant spaces, you know, all these concepts and ideas and, and how you can trial things and some of the artistic stuff that's going on. Yeah, so it was that sense of energy and I think the wit and the wisdom and the flair, they were words that come from the pages of the New York Times, you know, so... We, what we're seeing is is that um, if we can capture that sense of energy and allow others to share in that, um, and I think we can do that by helping them get through 
their insurance and EQC problems and uh, get their lives back on track. The work to temporarily fill empty spaces is highlighted during the rebuild tour. The area around you here, another one of, this is called Sound Garden. This is a greening the rubble project. This is excellent because you just make sound with old street signs and concrete pipes like drums. It just gets people involved, especially kids. You want them to come into town and not just... But as Insight found out speaking to people in Christchurch, many do not feel they're getting on top of the problems they're facing. Many still struggle with extreme situations such as those in the Flockton Basin and others are still trying to resolve issues with insurance claims and disputes with EQC even after their homes have supposedly been repaired. A couple living in Papua Nui, Darren and Kira, have a three-month-old baby and for the last year have given up trying to get their house sorted out. The earthquakes left their home with cracked walls, piles and foundations that had sunk and uneven floors. But work to repair the damage didn't resolve their problems. They didn't actually obviously sound like they took any measurements because they were too busy to take measurements, was what we were told by the EQC assessor. Um, and they put some new piles in and made the floor significantly worse than what it was because initially it was only dropping away about a metre away from the window. After that we had a 36 mil variance in the floor over less than a metre and it was just up and down. So what does that mean for everything else in the house, the doors um, and well, windows? The and... doors never shut after the earthquake. They don't latch. Um, and then we have what was our bedroom we don't actually sleep in anymore because you feel like you're um, rolling out of bed because if you walk across the floor there, you go downhill. Oh, yeah, there's quite a dip down here by the yeah. door, isn't it? Yeah. And as you see, the doors actually don't latch. And they now clear our doorstops. But I've so, got a cotton reel there, so um, toilet roll, so it doesn't smash into the wall every time. So prior to the repairs being carried out, that door would actually hit the doorstop. Now it doesn't. Act, now it clears the doorstop. So it's really it's 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 above the skirting board level. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So yeah. It's damage from their repairs, so we're in a worse off position. Darren and Kyra have made little progress on repairs despite repeated complaints. Basically, I've left it since um, they rang me and said they would have someone come and see me the next week, and I think that was the end of August or September 2013, and I haven't followed up. And I've got an email that's been sitting there ever since. It's just, why should I chase them up um, because of their poor workmanship? But I also understand that we've got a, um, you know, there are people far worse off than us, you know, one of Kyra's friends actually got mushrooms growing through the skirting boards in her home. And, um, She's they've got, got two small children. One of them's been, you know, his asthma is horrendous now because of their house. And they were on the urgent list. So what the hell's an urgent list when they've been waiting and waiting and waiting? The couple are now building a new home out of town as they fear any house they might purchase in Christchurch itself could have hidden problems. Such stresses have increased demand for support and the chairperson of the local branch of the National Councillors Association, Nikki Falconer, says recently waiting times for an appointment have doubled from six weeks to three months. What we're seeing is a lot of burnout and a lot of stress. Um, people have lost their motivation, they've often um, lost their joy in life, they're often drinking to cope or drinking more to cope. Um, they might have increased anxiety, they may have depression, 
they may not be connecting and doing the things with their families that they usually do that's usually fun and spontaneous and enjoyable so they're not recharging in the same way. It's difficult to get an entire picture of the increase in people seeking assistance for drug and alcohol problems but the Alcohol and Drug Coordination Service recorded 138 referrals in May and June of 2012. In January and February this year the figure had jumped to 240. Nikki Falconer says such figures are a sign of ongoing struggles and many people still have huge tasks ahead of them. There's a whole group of people um, who are in the uh, TC3 zone, TC3 houses, uh, about 9,000 in Christchurch, and they are still waiting to start their repairs. So that's a whole layer of people who still have to go through that negotiation with EQC and their insurance company. And that's going to take longer because they're site-specific foundations or they're particular building uh, specifics that they're going to need to do with those houses. There's probably an idea around the country that Christchurch is on the mend, but there's still a lot of stalling and a lot of waiting. Yeah, and also people who are waiting to hear what their um, outcome is for when their house has been red-zoned up around the hills and rockfall and things like that. A lot of uncertainty for a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. People can't plan their lives, they can't sell, they can't move forward, they don't know what to do. Nikki Falconer believes the stress even stretches to the workers who have poured into the city to help with the rebuild as they try to keep up with performance deadlines. The General Manager of Mental Health Services for the Christchurch DHB, Tony Gushlag, says the need for help has been continually growing. The levels of demand for our services are unprecedented in terms of the number of referrals that are coming through and the number of people that are accepted into our services. Um, if we look back and um, at 2009 rates in adult services we were having about um, 1,800 referrals and 75% of those would be picked up and last year we had over 2,200 and 82% of those are picked up. A counsellor at Hillmorton High School in the south of Christchurch, Sarah Main Donald, says there's huge demand which grew after the earthquakes but hasn't gone away. I think it's symptomatic of families under stress and you know, children's well-being is often a really good um, measure of how families are coping and there's been, we've seen a real increase in depression, anxiety and family violence so we've had more care and protection notifications. We're making a higher number of referrals to specialist mental health services and just overall I think that that's a, um, a symptom of how those children are feeling about their futures, maybe their family's future. She acknowledges that young people throughout New Zealand often need help from counsellors, but she says the difference in Christchurch is the volume. So we're seeing far higher numbers of young people who are suicidal um, than before. And, and interestingly enough, we kind of tracked in our school the first year we had a whole lot of senior boys who were very, got very depressed and quite um, unwell. And this year we've had a whole, the prevalence has been around self-harming for girls and suicidal thinking. So it seems, seems to me that um, those are the issues that are, that are the most noticeable, is sort of the volume and severity of mental health issues. Tony Gushlag from the Christchurch DHB backs that up. We have seen a significant increase in demand for uh, child and youth services that... Um, we think we've seen an increase of about 40% in the last two years, the number of people presenting to our services. 
Uh, and obviously we're concerned about that and we're working closely with other community agencies that are involved in supporting families and supporting young people uh, to understand this. But we also believe that it's a direct result of increased stress on the adults in their lives. It is not that there's been a major change in, um, in our young people, but their parents and uh, significant others are just not as available or overwhelmed with other priorities. While the general difficulty of day-to-day -day life for many families is having an effect on children, Sarah Maindonald believes the changes in the education sector have had an influence as well. Particularly um, with school closures of intermediates, as those students are having to transition, they're having to cope with the grief of losing their school, um, they're often having to travel further, so there's a whole lot more stresses. So we are definitely with the year eight and uh, seven and eight students coming into high school, so I think for the three high schools that that's impacted on, that's been significant. What sort of ways do you have to describe the sort of behaviour that you're seeing? Uh, just the level of um, behavioural difficulties in peer relationships, so there's more conflict you know, between students and more challenging behaviours for teachers to deal with. So we, we've had 125 new students join us from Year 7 and 8 at our school, and at the beginning there's probably a handful of kids that found the counsellors. By the end of Term 1 we had 40 students who were um, needing counselling support, either self-referred or by their teachers. The Chief of Psychiatry at the Christchurch District Health Board, Sue Nightingale, says anxiety and depression are very common conditions, and no matter how resilient one might be, everyone has their tipping point, especially under the sort of pressures people have been dealing with over the last few years. If you have a short, sharp stress and um, you put things in place and it's over, it makes sense that it's easy to cope with, but something that gnaws away that you feel helpless about, that you don't have any power over, particularly, which is one of the issues with uh, all the post-earthquake um, recovery, uh, it makes things more difficult. She says the uncertainty only makes things worse. I mean, if we knew that suddenly, two years' time, everything would be fixed and finished, that would help people considerably because they would have something to aim for and know that it was going to get better, but... We don't know that, and um, I guess for some people they've had their expectations raised and dashed on a number of occasions. But she warns against being overly negative and says there's a great deal of support available to help those in need. Sue Nightingale says one positive spin-off from public health campaigns such as All Right, launched last year, is that people feel it's OK to ask for help. The All Right campaign aims to help people recover from what it calls psychosocial effects of the earthquakes and is very visible through posters and billboards around the city. Even at office level, there are posters complete with tear-off compliments to give to colleagues to put a smile on their face. You're a wee Canterbury gem. You're more fun than bubble wrap. You're cooler than ninjas and pirates combined. Thanks for never giving up. You're warmer than a onesie. Jeremy Baker is a GP based at Ferrymead in the southeast and leads mental health at the Pegasus Primary Health Organisation. Dr Baker is well aware of the surge in cases of anxiety and depression, but he's also seen an increase in what he refers to as the walking wounded. People that are in, in ordinary jobs, in ordinary employments, finding that something is going amiss in their digestion, something's going amiss in their abilities to sleep, something's going amiss in the marriage... Um, and so this unexpected trauma of earthquakes was causing unexpected reactions and they had to come to us to try to dissemble 
well, this is actually an anxiety, this is a stress response, this is, a, this is an anger or frustration issue that's just becoming further embedded. It's the day-to-day -day disruption, such as roadworks, that can increase a routine drive to work from 15 minutes to an hour that is a constant but unavoidable irritation. In the South Island, the Transport for Christchurch says expect ongoing delays at peak times on Barbados, Durham Street North and Madras Streets in the central city. Driving down this street, both sides of the road lined with orange cones, centre of the road, lined with orange cones. At least one side of the road is dug up. There is some new channelling put down. It's getting towards the end of the working day. Already the diggers have been turned off and folded up and put to one side. The traffic is getting heavier and it's not really helped by the fact that everybody has to slow down to move through the areas of roadworks. St Asif Street is down to one lane between Barbados Street and Manchester And while Street. roadworks are an annoyance, the health board's Tony Gushlag says the lack of affordable and suitable housing is more than many people can cope with. We have some people who are in the community living in um, unsuitable, unsafe or homeless situations and we have some people come into hospital and lose their housing as a consequence of being in hospital for quite a period of time or they've come into hospital and, and haven't really had a, um, a secure housing situation. They may have been you know, staying with friends or moving around or, um, you know, and that is a challenge for our staff to try and navigate their way through the community and find suitable options. The supply and ability to access housing is a stress but also the, the cost and the financial pressure that's on some households is a stress and that's not just from a patient perspective, I know that that's a concern for staff as well, not just in our services but across the community, that people who rent are facing increased costs and that's challenging. Some people who own, own their own homes are living out of those homes while they're repaired or waiting for a repair option and they too are renting and covering, you know, having increased expenses and of course that's a pressure. She says the DHB has up to 24 people at any one time who do not need to be in hospital but who are struggling to find a place to stay when they leave. Jeremy Baker somewhat despondently wonders if parts of Christchurch will ever recover. I think really that some of the heart has been taken out of some of these communities. We're not talking about potentially just one single community, we're talking about faith communities, we're talking about the lower socio-economic communities, we're talking about whether you're Maori or Pākehā or, or Pacifica or, or Asian. I think at different points, two-thirds, a half, are, are feeling some wrench in their security, in their sense of well-being. I think we will see a Christchurch with some difficulty being able to recover that. And I know that that's going to sound negative in terms of forecasts from politicians or developers, but I think there really is a, a soul to heal in our city. While an end may not even be within sight for some residents, Tony Gushlag believes a sense of involvement with what's going on would help. People benefit from clear communication. I think if there was some clarity for people about what's happening in terms of um, some of those recovery components to do with housing and repair, then that will help people to be able to plan for the future. Roger Sutton acknowledges some people are still struggling, but he says others are looking to the future.
There are people who are very much involved in the rebuild, who you know, who have positive, happy jobs, whether people like me or whether they are tradesmen or, or engineers. There are people also who are stuck with insurance issues, people who are still trying to resolve issues that they wish could have been resolved within weeks of the earthquake and haven't been. Um, and then in the middle there are people whose lives who may live in the western part of Christchurch where they work in the western part of Christchurch whose lives actually have hardly been affected. There's no single way of characterising Christchurch people. Um, but I mean the third year was always going to be a very difficult year because you know it is three years since the quakes. People would always wanted more to have happened in this period of time but you know the scale of this is big. The value of the damage is roughly twice the city's GDP. So you know, people have to be a bit realistic about how long this is going to take. And you know, if there was one thing I would have done differently from the start of this job was trying to really push the fact that this is going to be a very, very long job. It isn't all going to happen tomorrow, next week or even next year. Out on the road, Duncan Gibb knows the difficulties but is optimistic the job will be done. It's hard, Yakka, but you know what? We'll get there and everyone's doing the best they can. I'm Philippa Tolley and that's Insight for this week. Next week we look at the rebuild in Japan after the devastating earthquake and tsunami that struck there a short time after the Christchurch disaster. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Gail Woods with technical production by William Saunders.